Good evening, everyone. My name is Joyce, and I am a very grateful member of Ellen. And there's just way too many people in this room tonight for me to feel comfortable up here, so you'll just have to bear with me while I work into it. Um, but I want to thank the committee for inviting me over here. It's just been wonderful. I've enjoyed last night's speaker, and I want to tell you, you're awfully lucky that I don't have as many words as Trudy, or we're going to be here till midnight. It just, I, I just enjoyed that, and Christy, this afternoon, uh, it's just been neat, and I got to sit in on the Wyoming business meeting, hear some of their reports, and since I am currently the Al-Anon State Chairman in South Dakota, I, I just know I'll find something helpful to help me when I get back there. Um, I know Leah has heard this story before, and I, I said I found out when I was, um, the last time that I spoke, that the story that I told wasn't so much for the um, people that were there, it was for me to get settled down. And I've got to tell you, up there um, in Rapid City, where I was speaking at the old-timers meeting, the podium was on wheels. And about <laughs> that's what I love about AA and Al-Anon. You know, they just get ahead of you. They <laughs> <laughs> just don't even have to finish a sentence. <laughs> but about halfway through, it started rolling. And, and I said it moved. And... Uh, Somebody from out in the audience said, oh, you're on a roll. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm not on a roll here. I checked this out before I started. And I did think of one other thing that I wanted to thank the committee for, and that was the, the wonderful fruit basket that was brought to the room yesterday. Haven't finished it off yet, but between me and, and my driver, I think we can handle it. Um... Oh, the story. Since I mentioned a story, this is, is one of those that, that can be interpreted in, in so many ways to apply to my experience of getting here to, to Al-Anon. And, and it's just about a, a minister that died and, and went to heaven. And he's standing in line at the pearly gates, and he's at the end of a pretty long line. He was pretty amazed there was that many people ahead of him. And the character just directly ahead of him, uh, he was just pretty amazed that he was even there at all. He had raggedy blue jeans and hadn't shaved and smelled like he hadn't bathed either for quite a while. And just long, unkept hair, and he's just rude. Just a foul mouth on him, and he was just making a nuisance out of himself as they, you know, went through this, this line. But he said, I'm a minister. I'm, I'm supposed to be tolerant. I'll, I'll just... You know, bear with this. There must be some redeeming quality here. And he was particularly interested when they got up to St. Peter. And the man in front of him, this guy that just was still being rude and obnoxious, St. Peter said, oh, you know, welcome. And, and he went and got him a satin robe and a golden staff and bid him to enter. And so he's just thinking, oh, boy, what am I going to get if this guy got that? And so he asked him, you know, his, his occupation. And he said he was a minister. The guy in front of him had been a New York taxi cab driver. And, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. I, I've got something for you. And he went and he got a 
just a burlap type kind of a sackcloth and an old wooden bent staff and he brought those out and his face just fell and he said well I don't want to seem ungrateful but you know that guy in front of me got the satin and the gold and I would have thought after 40 years of, of being a minister I would have deserved at least as much as he got and St. Peter said well you see the thing is when, when you preach those sermons uh, people fell asleep said when they rode with him they prayed <laughs> I had my own version of a New York taxi driver that got me to this program. Uh, oh, well, I am going to, to start at the beginning because it, it is a little bit germane to my story. Uh, I was born in, in Denver, Colorado. However, before I was even at that age of memory, uh, my parents divorced and mom moved back to eastern South Dakota uh, to stay with her parents, my grandparents. And I'll refer to that ag again a little bit later because I learned something about that after I'd been in Al-Anon for quite a while. Uh, but there um, I had an older brother, he was three years older, and the, the main thing that I recall is I was five before mom was remarried so we stayed at grandpa and grandma's and uh, you know I'd, I'd remember my grandparents both of them very fondly my uh, grandfather um, drove truck uh, he also farmed a little bit and uh, he drank too much uh, my grandmother was oh, about five foot three and he was six foot so they made quite a couple when they were dancing or, uh, what I remember mostly about the two of them is uh, him laughing he just seemed always to be joking or uh, enjoying life or kidding somebody sometimes grandma I know he'd tell her she had the best looking legs and she'd just get embarrassed and oh shush and of course we just uh, I know Christy talked about you know enjoying her dad and I can remember uh, grandpa driving the old 39 Chevy the one with the old flat trunk and my brother and I would be in the back seat and of course we'd be egging him on he'd be going at 35 miles an hour you know and grandma would be fussing at him with her hand on his knee saying and she always called him daddy for some reason you know just a term of endearment but daddy daddy slow down the wheels are going to fall off <laughs> and he just laugh and go a little faster you know and let's get yeah this was fun so I you know I love my grandmother but I, I couldn't figure out why she's just such a drag she just <laughs> you know just always so serious and gosh I took for granted you know all those things that she did for me you know the cooking the meals or having clean clothes or you know whatever those were just things that you know were just normal and uh, just really favored grandpa because he made me laugh um, so anyway my mother remarried when I was five 
And uh, we went to, to live on the farm, been on the farm, but, and, and that was just neat. Of course, the whole time I was growing up on the farm, I wanted to leave, and now to hear me talk about it, you'd think there was no greater place to live. So. It's all in that perspective. Um, and, and what I, you know, so much of what I can tell you about me, I only learned, you know, through working these steps and, and through looking at it through the light of this program. Uh, but I can see now where my uh, stepdad, and I called him dad, where he never stood a chance, absolutely never stood a chance, because I compared him to Grandpa, and uh, there was just a world of difference there. Uh, because, you know, my dad was a serious young man of 28 or so when he got married, and uh, had, you know, a family and you know, wife. Uh, a year after they got married, he had a new baby, and he's a young farmer, and he's just plenty serious. And of course, you know, Grandpa, he's just always joking and laughing. And, but I can remember a, a few times, uh, although it didn't make any sense to me until I got to this program, of uh, when it didn't seem like Grandpa laughed at the appropriate time. Uh, and I remember having this, uh, you know, like I said, as a young kid, I just didn't know. I just knew I felt uncomfortable. Uh, in fact, I, I think that's when I started my mind reading. Um, because I, I put that down to the rest of my family feeling uncomfortable, and particularly my mother and my father. And I don't know if they did. But I know I was embarrassed and I was ashamed. Hmm. Well, anyway, uh, one of the, the unremarkable things, you know, that, that I did, I, I mean, I went to a country grade school, um, and, and characteristic of, of me that really stood out was uh, how much I craved attention and approval. And was just, you know, always trying to find ways of, of getting that. I said, from an early age, I never felt like I got enough of it. And I can remember just being, uh, getting compliments at school on my spelling. So I, you know, wanted this father's uh, approval and attention, so I'd ask him, you know, give me a tough word to spell. I'm, I'm in second grade, you know. <laughs> so he gave me cat. And of course I spelled it, and he goes, that's nice. And I just remember being so disappointed and just thinking, is that all he thinks I can do? You know, and just being mad. Um, but I knew that wasn't okay either. It was never okay to be mad. So I just would ignore those things. Uh, and I think I, eventually I would just turn it in on myself. You know, if I was maybe charming like my cousin... You know, then I get that. Boy, I feel like I'm going to eat this thing. It's like a lollipop here. <sighs> Can you all hear me okay in the back there? Okay. Just stand up and wave if, if it... If I, all right. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> 
but uh, my older brother and I, now he had some memories of, you know, the our biological father. And uh, and, and we would talk. We, mother never threw anything away. And she had some pictures in a trunk, you know, in the spare room that we would get into. And, and I began to fantasize about this absent person. And, of course, if I was with him, you know, especially with things weren't going the way I wanted them to go, I was having to do chores or feed the chickens or gather eggs or you know well if I was with this other person that wouldn't be that way I would I would be fine then and wouldn't have to do you know anything I didn't want to do I'd be happy and, and uh, more about that a little later too but uh, you know the the two of us just kind of fantasized about that and and dreamed about you know possibly one day uh, ever meeting this um, person that that mom had been divorced from, uh, it was pretty uneventful. Uh, although I just was never part of the in crowd in in high school. In fact, uh, you know this this being smart as a girl was a handicap back when I went to school. Uh, at least I viewed it that way, and uh, one of the the first ways that I was practiced dishonesty was certainly to uh, never talk about how easy school was for me. Uh, and I felt a little embarrassed about that. I, I could see certainly a, a cousin who studied, and I didn't, and I got good grades. Um, that just never seemed okay with me, but I just took on the burdens of the world early. Uh, but what I did after I graduated, and of course uh, during the time I was in high school, and Christy, you don't have an attitude. <laughs> I had an attitude in high school. <laughs> I felt sorry for myself. Everything that wasn't okay with me was my parents' fault. And I did not tell them that directly, but I felt it. And uh, so I was looking forward to the day when I could, you know, get away from the farm and from that influence and boy then I was going to be happy I was going to find my way and I said a year later I was in jail and pregnant <laughs> and they didn't have a thing to do with either one of those <laughs> the reason that I wound in jail is, is because there were a few other kids that, that I worked with and we, we justified taking a piano out of an abandoned warehouse or farmhouse and uh, selling it for 20 bucks. And it was a felony. And I wound up in, in court with a, a DA, and I just remember he had brown and white shoes. <laughs> Probably never looked up the whole time I was in court. And he wanted to put me in New York, Nebraska. He got my attention, I'll tell you. <laughs> and of course, these uh, parents that that I could see no use for were just right there. And uh, 
I was put on probation, I thank goodness. Uh, one, one night of being in jail was plenty for me. I don't know how you people take it any longer than that. <laughs> and, and, that and that jail food was everything that, that I've heard people say it is. <laughs> uh, I did give the baby up for adoption, and that's just okay. I was put on probation, and uh, the probation officer that I had was just a kindly young man. I suppose he's about 28, big brown eyes, had a lot of potential. (laughs) These people are just way ahead of me. And sure enough, after I was off probation, we started seeing each other. And, you know, I, when, I, when I think of how sick I was before I even, you know, got into uh, a marriage, uh, it's just amazing to me. But, you know, I was okay because he thought I was. And, you know, that, boy, when I took him home, I mean, I mean he was a professional man and certainly one that, you know, moral, upstanding person, and he thought I was pretty neat. Well, who can turn down a deal like that? <laughs> and during the time that, that we, we went together for a couple of years before we got married, and I certainly got enough information during that time that any sane person would have turned tail and run. But not me. I could fix this. He, he drank because he was unhappy, and I was going to make him so happy he wouldn't need to do that anymore. And that's just what I set out to do. Uh, well, we were married for 13 years. During that time, I have, we had three kids, and I went down the tubes a lot quicker than he did. Um, I, I think it's pretty significant that uh, I, I realized after I, you know, got to Al-Anon and, and started, you know, getting a little information that I had grown up and I had married a man a lot like my grandfather, and I had turned into my grandmother. <laughs> So needless to say, I didn't like me that much, and I made amends to my grandmother. She had been dead before then. But I realized that uh, I hadn't known what in the world I was even talking about or thinking about and I had just, you know, judged her through my eyes. And I know she heard me and I know that's okay too. Uh, The other thing that's significant to me is that while I did lots of of threatening, did, did lots of 
taking responsibility for and, uh, you know, trying to deal with this ugliness that until, you know, it, it wasn't my problem. It absolutely was not my problem. He had it and he wouldn't do anything about it. And I was sure that he knew the secret to it and he just wouldn't tell me. And we had many late night, early morning philosophical talks while I tried to pry it out of him. (laughs) And um, the big book of AA, I know it talks about that sometimes that alcoholic has no more idea than you do of why they do what they do. And I believe that. So, uh, but I was not ready to change anything I was doing uh, until I got to that uh, a point, just one fairly uneventful Saturday night. Um, I was already in bed and he was, you know, brushing his teeth and getting ready for bed and, and just running his mouth about no big deal, just running his mouth. But what happened for me was an audible click. In my head, and I knew I had to do something different. From that point on, it had nothing to do with him anymore. I had everything to do with me and where I felt myself. So, uh, I need to get a Kleenex, excuse me. I had some here. Oh, you're Johnny on the spot. Thank you. Audrey has trained you well. (laughs) 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 Oh. I meant that lovingly, you know that. Uh, some, someday I will be able to, to be at the podium and, and uh, get through this and, and not cry, but I have no idea when it will happen. It won't be tonight. Uh, okay, so I, I, I knew that I, I just had nothing left to put into a marriage. I mean, I was just empty. And so I I told him that and and told him I was filing for a divorce and he didn't want it. And I said, well, let's not talk to, you know, tell the kids until we've, you know, done something more. And this was Sunday morning. I mean, I just absolutely disconnected on Saturday night and never said another word. And I was so mad at him. The first thing he did is when he called the kids in from outside, said, your mommy's taking you away from me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but I think that was about the last reaction that, that he got for, for quite a while. I really was just empty. Um, however, he wouldn't go away. I mean, he moved out of the house, but he wouldn't leave me alone. And... I always had a tough time being consistent with saying no and sticking to the same thing. 
because I'd start feeling sorry for him. Poor baby. <laughs> and he was a pathetic thing. <laughs> well, and, and, and this is my ego, folks, is that after all, I was depriving him of my company. Anyway, he really wanted us to, to go to some counseling, and, and so I finally agreed, just, just to get him off my back. And the, the people that we went to uh, were at a, a Lutheran social service, and, and the first time they talked to us together, and then they split us up, and I stayed and talked to him, and he went with her. And then, then, of course, I was able to be honest and, and just tell him I had nothing more to put into a marriage and it was over, it was done, it was finished. And he said, well, can't you see that by what you're doing, it's, it's like you've got this door, but instead of closing it and leaving it shut, you open it just a crack and he gets his fingers in there and then you whack it on his knuckles. <laughs> well, I've always been a sucker for analogies and... That one made me cringe. I wanted no more part of hurting anybody. So I, I, that gave me what I needed to do to, to stick to that through, through a lot of powers and persuasions, through a suicide death threat, uh, came at midnight on the phone. And I, I guess I got just a little bit ahead of myself. We did go through a... Uh, and, and, this wasn't for the marriage, but we did go through a, a two-week out-service treatment center at that time. They were kind of new then. This was back in 77. And I couldn't see anything good about that experience for a long time other than that it brought me to Al-Anon. But I certainly did, you know, learn some things about myself there. And... Uh, I know it was my sponsor-to-be in Al-Anon that gave me the, the phrase that treatment was discovery and Al-Anon is recovery. And I believe that today because I would not have been able to do anything with anything that I was given there without the sponsorship and without this program. Uh, so um, I, I should have mentioned that, that during this, this marriage I really had completely lost whatever I had of me uh, and, and I set out to do that. That was not his fault. I just simply set out to be what I thought he needed. And I did big game hunting and I shot the 300 H&H &H Magnum and just to fit in. <laughs> uh, and, and I never complained about it. I just was just tough. Now I'm not so tough. Thank goodness. Um, anyway, when I got in, the, the very first Al-Anon meeting there in Rapid City, I, I remember about ten minutes into the meeting that, that somebody talked about, um, you know, that first step and, and the disease of alcoholism. And uh, these people just seemed like they knew what they were talking about. And, and I just accepted that without even understanding any of it. But I also couldn't see why I would stay any longer. You know, why wouldn't I just get up and just leave? Because what did that have to do with me? And then I heard that 
this was for me. And I thought, because what was there to talk about if I was divorced from him? <laughs> I mean, I couldn't tell you anything about me, and, and that's what be, I would be asked was about me. Uh, for about the, the next three years, though, um, I, I went to a lot of al meetings, and uh, I wasn't getting any better. I was just getting real busy. Uh, I was working full-time. Uh, during this time, um, you know, his mother was staying with him, so I let the kids stay there for, well, except for the summer months, for two years. And that became real obvious that that was not working at all. So I, I told him that, that I would be taking the children and thank goodness I had some time in, in Al-Anon, you know, in, in, under my belt because I, I don't know where I would have gotten the strength to do anything like that because I was, would always just be scared and back down and, and you know, he's going to take me to court and prove me an unfit mother. And, and I said, well, you just do what you have to do. I know what I have to do. And, of course, it never materialized. But usually those threats like that would just, I just, Knuckle under, I'd just give up. And then I'd be mad. <laughs> I guess I didn't give up, I submitted. <laughs> uh, but there was a... Uh, I, I attended a lot of open AA meetings, and, and I'm so thankful for, uh, for those. I, I hope they always are there. Um, and there, there was one gentleman in particular who lived in Colorado at that time that, that came. And I think a lot of you here in Casper know him, uh, J.D. McKenna. Well, he was talking about things that I didn't understand. <laughs> and he didn't sound like anybody else that I heard talk. So, of course, I had to, you know, kind of hang around and, and ask some questions. And, and he would. He would just talk to new people, you know, whoever would listen and while well, he'd talk about this, this program. And... Eventually, um, he brought his wife to visit. And I remember that uh, she went to one of the regular Al-Anon meetings that, that I went to. And bless her heart, she just she came out of there with her eyes flashing and said, well, I don't know what that was, but <laughs> one Al-Anon. And I thought, you know, here's a lady that knows. Here's somebody that knows. And if she would have gone out and sat down in the middle of the traffic on West Main, I'd followed her out there. Fortunately, I didn't have to do that. She went to coffee like everybody else. Mm. Uh, I, what I want to do is, is maybe go back and, and fill in just a couple of those holes that I mentioned. Um, the, the father that I fantasized about. Um, just a, a few years into Al-Anon, my brother called me at 3 o'clock in the morning. He sometimes did that he, when he got, he'd just get chatty. And, uh, and But he was excited about something, and he said, Boy, remember what we always talked about? Remember what you always wanted as a kid? 
And I said, a horse? You got me a horse? <laughs> no, it, it, he, he had uh, located our father uh, through some uh, other relatives. They knew where he was living. And uh, he had his phone number and he said, don't you want to talk to him? I said, I don't know. <laughs> We got off the phone. I, I mean, I took the information down. We got off the phone, and and I was just feeling real funny. I went out in the kitchen and got something to drink and went back in and sat down in the bed, and, oh boy, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I bawled and I bawled and I bawled. For, felt like I was never going to stop. must have lasted 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but what surfaced at that point was, it was the abandonment that I'd felt. And I had no conscious memory of that. And what was really, really freeing for me, and I think it's just the, the power of love, and I'd never experienced that freedom, is I did call him in a couple of days. And while I was waiting for him to come to the phone, I, I just had the most freeing experience because I realized that I loved him. I didn't know him. But I realized there wasn't anything he could do to take that away. There wasn't anything he could do to earn it. It was just there. And it was just free. And boy, I just said, wow. And it's not been a problem for me ever since. He owes me nothing. He's just fine where he is. He's was remarried for 20 years at that time. Had girls and you know we visited and I, I did meet him a few years later and uh, boy just the, the power of this to remove that was just really something and it wasn't anything I was aiming for uh, or working on you know it just came up and it, it just happened and I really think that's God doing for me what I couldn't do um, there was a, another relationship that uh, I, I got to experience similar healing, but with a lot more direction from my sponsor, and that was regarding my mother. And I'd been in Al-Anon for several years at this point, and just, I mean, I knew I loved my mother, and she just knew that there was just something there. And, uh, but I can't deal with what I don't know about. So I, uh, but not too long after that, I, I started having this just un uncomfortable feeling, something trying to come up again. And, and I did what, what I've done sometimes in the past. It got real busy. Instead of sitting down and letting it come, it, it just scared me to death. So I talked to her again about that and told her what it was. Just that, that same feeling of abandonment, but I said, to my knowledge, my mother's never left me. So she said, you need to talk to your mother. Well, <laughs> it's the last thing I wanted to do was talk to my mother about this. Can't we, you know, go over here and, you know, talk about it some more coffee or 
and she just said, you need to talk to your mother. I mean, I would have rather walked across hot coals than have brought this up. But I, I did. And uh, that was another one of those, those freeing, freeing things. Because uh, I told her of the feelings that, that I was having and, and how much they puzzled me. And I'm just bawling, you know, <laughs> tears streaming down my cheeks. And, and she's just looking real puzzled. And, and she said, well, the only thing that she knew of was at the time of her divorce in, when we were living in Denver is that my grandparents had taken me and my brother and come to South Dakota and she had stayed there in Denver to, to finish her personal matters. And I, 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 so many things just fell into place there in, in this twinkling of an eye in, in just the span of, of a second or two. And one of them was that this memory that I, I mean, I had to be less than two years old. But it was a memory that I was not going to trust anybody. And I knew it was one of those things that was a survival that if I did anything else, I would not exist. And that explained why uh, all those years of growing up that I did not go and talk things over. I, I didn't trust and I didn't rely on. And I pretty much tried to go it alone. And I would have probably made it if I hadn't run into that taxi cab driver. <laughs> Uh, and thank goodness that I did uh, run into that taxi cab driver that brought me to this program. Uh, because I know I'm, I'm just so close with my mother now and, and just can appreciate her. <coughs> never could before. I mean, I liked her okay, but I, I just never felt close to her. And the other thing that got revealed as I was sitting there with these jumbled up thoughts going through my mind was there was this puzzled look on her face just you know not extreme but just kind of a concerned but puzzled look and I realized she never knew she never had an idea one of what went on in my head because I never let her in there and that let her off the hook too <laughs> And she does know a lot more about what goes on in my head today. But that's new, and, and it's not perfect, but I, I work on that. i got to look at my notes here to see if there's anything else I wanted to tell you folks about. Uh, oh, excuse me. got to use Carl's Kleenex. <laughs> Well, I guess I've told you what it was like and what happened and maybe a little bit more about what it's like today. Um, I, I do have, uh, and I say I, 
he's still a wee deal. Uh, even though he's an ex-husband, he is those kids' father. And he does love them, and they do love him. And I'm so grateful for this program to keep my hands out of managing that. Um, it gave me a place to work on myself uh, and, and not poison anybody else with <coughs> some of the resentments I had to resolve. And as a result, today, um, right now, we all happen to, to live in the same town. I have one married daughter who has blessed me with two grandchildren and don't even get me started on that. <laughs> and uh, uh, another daughter and, and, a, and a grown son. And we're together a lot at um, holidays, special occasions. And uh, what's neat is because of this program, they, they don't have to split their day in half or go every other holiday, one to moms and one to dads. We can all get together and, and be all right. Uh, in fact, I, I was just thinking about my, my son. He's really good with a set of hair clippers. I think if he'd wanted to go be a barber, he could have just done that. And uh, their their dad is still an active drinker and still going through. But boy, they they do what they can. And he was giving him a haircut, and it was just, I think it was probably two days before Christmas, and it was just one of those special, special times. And I think that, you know, this is the person that I let emotionally blackmail me, hold me hostage, <laughs> all kinds of things. And, and I think the key word is, I let. And, boy, that, that just didn't come overnight. Uh, I know in, in regards to that, the thing that got my attention was something, too, that, that Dee had said to me very early on. And she said I had made him into a monster, and that was one of the ways that I got sick. So if I wanted to recover, he had to become one of God's kids. Thank goodness he is today. So uh, I'm not going to try and tell you about service, except it is my pleasure to be able to try and give back um, what's been so freely given to me. Um, there is a, a little thing here that... Um, of course, I, I just, I, I love your AA big book. <laughs> For a long time I was jealous I wanted an Al-Anon big book. <laughs> and it's okay. There's only one place that, where the directions have to be written down. I don't know why we'd need them two or three or four or five. <laughs> just argue about it. <laughs> but I, I was looking for something here uh, to, to close, and, and I looked at the end of Bill's story and 
And, and he says, you know, there is, however, a vast amount of fun about it all. I suppose some would be shocked at our seemingly worldliness and levity. But just underneath, there is deadly earnestness. Faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. Most of us need look no further for utopia. We have it with us right here and now. And I think that's where I'll end. And I sure thank you all.